0: Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Do you want to drive a new Tesla or a Rivian truck or a lucid
1: air with 500- mile battery? A new online raffle lets you win an EV dream car
0: while helping the planet. Visit evraffle.org to win. Seacan Action Fund uses all proceeds to promote clean energy. Visit evraffle.org.
2: Hello, we're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And joining us today are Tom Palette CEO of Zeta Energy, and Michael Liedke, Chief Commercial Officer at Zeta Energy. Just to start off, I'll give you, a, you know, a brief intro. Zeta Energy is focused on, you know, sort of I'm not sure if revolutionizing is the perfect word, we'll get into it, but basically, you know, trying to bring a new uh battery chemistry to commercial production and mass market scale. Talking about lithium sulfur batteries, not not exactly new, but you know, they're not um right now the EV battery market is dominated by lithium ion batteries of different chemistries not lithium sulfur so we'll just get into a bit their their chemistry their development of this chemistry and their aims for commercial development and mass scale and uh, but to start i always like to just find out who we're talking to a little bit more uh, find out how you guys got into this industry how you got into zeta energy or you know and what you've been doing there for the past uh, few years uh, before getting into sort of the the hot news Uh, so Tom, let's go ahead and start with you. What's your background? How did you get into all of this? Yeah, I'm a
1: mechanical engineer by education. I've been in the automotive industry for more than 30 years, most of that with Magna International, a very large automotive tier one where I was globally responsible for bringing new technology to the global automotive market. I left in 2017 to bring my experience to companies like Zeta, taking what was a great idea or a, a startup innovative idea and then bringing the experience and background to helping to commercialize that technology and really realize the innovation in a full market application. And so very happy to be part of the company since 2017. I've held various roles in the company from uh, vice president of engineering to chief operations officer for about two years. And then I took over as the company's CEO at the beginning of this calendar year.
2: Thanks a lot. Great, great uh background very concise to you're you're like a quick and maybe like an engineering approach to 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 rolling through this which is not always the case but it's great michael what's your background leading into this industry and zeta energy as well
3: yeah hi so my background is uh, basically a mechanical engineer and i uh, i worked in automotive as well mercedes-benz and bmw And um, one of my clients at BMW uh, suggested to me one time, you know, you want to save the world. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, start working in energy storage. You know, I'm a board member of this company and you could join. So I became the VP of Business Development for Maxwell Technologies, um, developing ultra capacitors and uh, grew that company significantly. And years and years later, it was uh, sold to Tesla for this dry battery electrode process. But in the meantime, you know, I was also working with other companies in the industry and, um, you know, such as Skeleton Technologies. But then in uh, 2019, I changed, you know, and sometimes the ultracapacitor guys say, you know, you went to the dark side, you know, you went to batteries. And so I joined Zeta Energy in 2019. So it's about three and a half years ago. And so trying to do the same thing, grow the company to make it successful and introduce it to the automotive industry and various other industries.
2: There must be a lot of good jokes that go on between those <laughs> <The laughs> ultra capacitor people and the and the battery people. Uh oh yes. I'm, I'm sure a lot oh, of yes. jokes about uh, people confusing them as well, because that's always oh, been but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well,
3: it's probably the biggest difference between battery and ultra capacitor industry. At ultra capacitors we always had to explain to people what is an ultra capacitor. Yeah. In yeah. battery Everybody yeah. has a battery. Everybody knows what a battery is, so you don't have to explain it to anyone. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely. one big big
2: difference. So, were you so you were at Maxwell when Tesla acquired Maxwell, or no, it was
3: before that. Before, before you, that, uh, before that, yeah. you left.
2: Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I should say too. You know, I mentioned just EV batteries, but energy storage, of course, is much broader than electric vehicles, and I'm sure that we'll discuss other segments of the energy storage industry as well. Uh, I don't even know, you know, if how much you are focusing on cars versus other applications. So we'll find that out. Yeah, let's just, I guess, let's just get a little bit started on how you came to focus on lithium sulfur for batteries, and and uh, you know, what have been the hurdles up till now that have you know that make it not the the battery that's in my Tesla Model Three or you know whatever Ford Mustang Mach E or whatever other EV we see on the road right now.
1: A little background on the technology might help maybe. Zach, we'll do that first. So this this background technology was a tech transfer out of Rice University in 2014. The founder, Charles Maslin, found this technology and then made sure that he acquired this technology, started Zeta Energy, a little bit of funding to do advanced development work on what was an anode technology, a vertically aligned carbon nanotube anode technology. And then developed a, you know, a, a comparable, compatible cathode technology, which is now what we call our sulfurized carbon lithium sulfur battery that Zeta has now developed for use both in uh, the automotive market applications and far beyond, could be grid applications, could be other products. And we're, uh, we're happy to share with you that we believe that we have a technology with a supply chain that is both available Domestically here in, in in the U.S. as well as wherever we would produce this battery at very low cost input raw materials, and we believe that gives us a significant advantage over current state battery technology, lithium ion NMC and even LFP from a cost performance standpoint. So just a very general, very quick background on the technology as a tech transfer out of Rice University in 2014. So yes, a startup company, but a startup company that's been at it, you know, almost. Uh, Almost nine years, almost ten years now. And so you hear that a lot. Startups aren't overnight. Startups really have great ideas that really take the brute force hard work to bring that technology to market. And that's exactly what Zeta Energy did.
2: That's a great background. Thank you, Tom. So Michael, do you have anything to add on on that process or or on the, the technology at all, you know, in the past, you know, several several years, building up till twenty twenty three? I think uh
3: that for me, to, for me to add on this thing, you know, regarding the technology, I think one of the biggest obstacles to overcome, you know, specifically for lithium sulfur battery was, you know, that uh, what we overcame the so-called uh, polysulfide shuttle. So basically in the electrode, you have elemental sulfur that gets dissolved in the electrolyte. That's the liquid between, you know, makes the whole thing work. And you know that uh, those uh, polysulfides, first of all, you know they start showing up in the separator, and then ultimately destroying the anode, which then leads to really short lifetime of the cell. Sometimes you know only 50 cycles, so 50 times you can charge and discharge before the battery you know is considered to be dead. And um, so what uh, what we did at ZETA, our team, they developed a way how they can encapsulate the sulfur. So still taking advantage, you know, of the high energy density of sulfur-based uh, cathodes, without the disadvantage, you know, that you have something that's floating in there now and is is killing the anode. So this was one of the biggest innovations that we overcame, and it was also uh, something, you know, in the industry. A lot of people when they heard lithium sulfur, they would say, "Oh, wait a minute, you know, you guys have all these problems." Huh? So this is one thing that we had to overcome also externally, to say. This is not your father's lithium sulfur battery anymore. This is something else. This is something new, and it was interesting, you know. A lot of the external companies and external experts, you know, some some of them like national laboratories, they didn't want to touch our material because they were worried, you know, it's going to contaminate their equipment, and it's going to destroy things. It's all this old, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> midwife tales that they heard about lithium sulfur, and then once they started testing our material. And they suddenly realize, oh wait a minute, this is temperature stable. This material does not dissolve or kind of turn liquid and contaminate my equipment at one hundred and eighty degrees Celsius, or you know all these other things that they heard. Suddenly they turned around, you know, and they became huge fans of our material. This happened both in the U.S., but this also happened in Europe as well. Where suddenly, you know, some really established uh, research organizations, you know, they looked at this material, they started working with it, and they say, "Whoa, this is something new. This is something different." Uh, That's very And funny. this so, is what we overcame. Uh, you said that was NREL in job.
2: the US, or there
3: was another one. Different. I don't know if we can mention him here at this oh, okay. point in time. one of
2: the but not one of the national labs, and it was and one it of was the national labs. labs. Yeah, in yeah. Europe, and, maybe and, Front, or something like that. Yeah,
3: maybe somebody like that. Yeah. So they all overcame that, you know, and they were able to They ultimately then prove, you know, that we do not have the polysulfide issues that others had, huh? which then instantly, I mean, the one institute, you know, there was companies out there with data sheets that they could do like 50 cycles. They were selling these as batteries. Huh? And so we took them in the very, very first, I mean, think about it. It was the very first test that they did. You know, we came out with way more than 100 cycles before they stopped the whole thing because it just takes too long. And this is when they also said, "Whoa! This is this is com- something completely new. This is completely different. Uh, without any special, there were all these other guys. You know, they were putting some special coating on the anode. They had some special separators. We just used run of the mill stuff. What everybody else is using, because we were always trying to stay in this this one thought in mind: we do not want to increase the battery the cost of the battery unnecessarily." This is why we're always trying to shoot using stuff that other thing people are using, materials, components, that they're already using in highest volumes, so that we can keep the cost low. Because at the end of the day, that's our biggest advantage. You know, you don't get a cheap cell with cheap performance. We're shooting for a inexpensive cell with really high performance, so the best value.
2: So you're good at the market. Yeah, and, again,
3: using and to add the
1: market, words like cheap. To add those <laughs> points, Zach. Not only are we shooting for an inexpensive battery with high performance, we're doing it with materials that are readily available where we manufacture the batteries. So we're not subservient to mining in one country, refining in another country, transport issues, cost on cost on cost. Michael always mentions material tourism, and we don't have that because we are utilizing materials that are available where we manufacture batteries and so that makes the supply chain issues of today something that we will not have to contend with in the future. And also, some of the material strategies that are out there, if you look at metal oxides that are used today, uh, you know, these run, on a, these run on a commodity. They run on a, um, on a material commodity fluctuation. We're not subservient to that. We're, we have sulfur, we have processed gas, and we have carbon. These materials will not have the same Cost challenges today and in the future that we have in other battery chemistries.
2: Yeah, and that's I mean that's something listeners should be very familiar with that that challenge that you're referencing because uh, we've talked about it many times with many different guests. I've never heard the the term um, material tourism, but I like that a lot. I might have to use that or you know mineral. Oh, no, you tourism. can use it. It's yeah. also
3: the other thing that goes with that, you know, our materials, no visa required.
2: No visa required. Yeah, you're good at this. You know, this has been my, my field for you know 15 years.
0: Uh, you're talented. This is very good. Hello, listeners. My name is Scott Cooney, and I am Zach's business partner. I'm the founder of Technica, and I am so so grateful to all of you avid clean tech fans out there. We are thrilled to have been accelerating the clean tech revolution for more than a decade now, and really that all starts with you. The decisions you make and your companies make are driving this revolution. I'm most happy to be able to say that if we at Clean Technica had a nickel for every time we heard someone say that they purchased their first solar, their first EV, their first e-bike, or some other clean technology because of something they read on our website, Clean Technica would have enough money to be a cable TV channel by now. But the thing is we don't get those nickels and as a result our ability to move markets only goes so far. So I have a favor to ask. If you love what we do, and you feel that we're helping move the world to a better future, could you chip in a monthly contribution of 5 bucks, 10 bucks, or whatever you can? If even 1% of our audience chipped in $5 a month, we could really blow this thing up and move markets. So if you feel motivated and can spare the cost of one cup of coffee a month, please go to cleantechnica.com slash support and sign up through either PayPal or Patreon. Again, that's cleantechnica.com slash support. Thanks so much. You
2: know, one thing I was going to say is you do... When you're in this industry or following it closely, you know, you see press releases from different universities, you know, Stanford, MIT, wherever, and they, you know, they're always, their job is to hype up whatever progress was made. And there's always a breakthrough somewhere on something. But you, you know, people who are following for a long time and trying to figure out the future of these technologies, you know, they'll I, you know, identify what the challenges are, what the problems are. And then, you know, sooner or later, they might start discounting or not paying attention to press releases about certain technologies, or, you know, it's, it's just this a natural part much, of the process. Uh... You, I mean, you're like, okay, I've seen, I've learned about that lithium sulfur, or whatever. I see the problems. And, you know, you, it's hard to, after a while, to re- to realize or remember that progress can still be made to the point of commercialization. Right, uh, And right. I think it's fascinating the story you, you have with the lab because, I mean, we never hear that kind of thing. And that's really a, a really interesting kind of perspective of them having their own kind of response to that, you know, th- their own kind of prejudice, we, we can say, to that technology because of the past. And, I mean, we definitely, we're not eager to get stuff on, on our podcast that is just too far from commercialization. We're always looking like, how, how you know, are they going to, get to commercialization? And is it soon enough that we can th- think it's possible? And so we'll get to that with you guys. But it definitely sounds like you're making significant progress towards that with lithium sulfur batteries. And we've had another guest, I don't, I don't know, if, uh, from Lighten, which is also working on lithium sulfur batteries, former Tesla battery expert. So she opened my eyes up to the fact that, you know, lithium sulfur really seems to be on a path toward commercialization and i'm not saying who you know which i don't know how much you're you're competing or, or who's got the best approach or anything like that but it just made me it helped helped to break that kind of calcification of of uh you know prejudice against you know technologies that are not commercialized so much yet and i i think you know talking to you guys i'm getting again there's a sense that this is really happening and By 2030, we will have lithium sulfur batteries that are mass scale. And, uh, you know, we don't have to worry too much that this is, you know, overhyped, I would say. So
3: one, maybe one other thing, you know, to point out, you know, kind of a frame of reference here. So a lot of the material that traditional batteries are using, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it was mined in Indonesia, it was mined in Australia, it was mined here and there and so on and so forth. Mining is just one aspect but then you have to refine it and the refining for some of the most critical materials you know it does not take place in the us it takes place in china mostly so the materials that we're using we don't we could care less and this is where we say you know no material tourism so right now i'm like i'm sitting here in san diego and there was one point in time during COVID, you know i could see some of the cargo ships anchoring outside you know where I live to get yeah. into the LA harbor, which is about 50 miles north. you know this is how overcrowded this whole thing was. So for us, our source of sulfur is your local refinery. So I even made a statement to somebody, well if I would be in Silicon Valley, you know my source of material is sitting right there. you know you have refineries in Oakland, I can use that. So we used sulfur straight out of the refinery no post-processing as, as it falls out there as a side product. There was uh, from, from Texas, so it was using Texas crude. We also wanted to make the point that we can also then set up a facility in Europe if needed. So we had some sulfur from a refinery in Germany. Yeah? And they were giving us the stuff as it pops out, You know, as they were taking the crude oil and removing the sulfur from the crude. And no refinement, no nothing just use the, we call it dirty sulfur sometimes, we just use their sulfur and introduce it into our process so I mean, it doesn't get easier than this, you know, just using that material and so no ships required you can just basically put it in the train or put it in the truck and move it over and we got it or set a facility up right next door and and use this material that's a a byproduct that's why we say no tourism, no material tourism
1: Zach uh, made the comment about ESG as we started this Zach, you talk about an ESG problem solution, we're taking what could be a liability from a Petrochem facility and moving it on to a, a very beneficial and useful product in the very near future, and that's a lithium solver battery. So not only are we taking something that could be a waste product from Petrochem, we're converting it directly without any post-processing, as Michael has pointed out, and bringing it right in right into a high-performance energy storage device. And maybe that's one of the more significant differences between us and some of the other sulfur chemistries that are out there. We don't have to talk about the companies or the competition, but, but we're very unique. We, we just actually put out our news release on this year just within the last month that we have now proven that the dirty sulfur, quote unquote, or unpurified sulfur works just as well in our process. And so we're, we're, we're taking the approach, solve the real problems, with material and supply chains to keep the cost of energy storage affordable. And that's how we look at problem solving day in and day out.
3: Yeah, Without uh, any yeah. performance, without any performance <laughs> loss. That's, not, that's, that's seriously, critical. that's key. Yeah. So, I mean, we were using previously, you know, some highly purified sulfur that we got from, from some scam, uh, chemical specialty company. You know, it didn't perform any better or worse than the stuff that we're getting out of the refinery for dirt cheap.
2: Yeah, this is critical stuff. I mean, you can see how much you guys are focused on commercialization and uh, you know being competitive on on the mineral refining front. Yeah, we've I don't know if it's exactly the same today, but what we were reporting I think a year ago is that it, about six sixty to a hundred percent of EV battery minerals were refined in or processed refined or processed in China. Sixty percent right. was lithium, I think. Synthetic graphite was a hundred percent or ninety nine percent and other materials were somewhere in between that like 70 80%. So and it's, it's all again, something we,
3: we reference
2: many times but we um and we've talked a lot about the geopolitical issue and how that you know that puts more of a potential stranglehold on the US and European economies than OPEC even at that level of of uh, very well could Monopolization, but um but it's something you know. I forget when we, we discussed it so much. You know, we should always bring it, mention it when it's relevant, just to try to keep it in mind. China has also dominated EV sales in the last several years. So over fifty percent of sales are in fifty or more percent of sales are in China. So that sort of fits anyway. But still, you, you have to develop the mining and the refining and. I think it was four or five years ago and I started really getting concerned about that because, you know, we we always like, we're looking at, you know, typical technology adoption curves, S-curves, and thinking about all the benefits of electric vehicles. And I'd present all over the world on how they would revolutionize the industry. And, you know, we figured the market will just work it out with all the stuff that needs to happen. And then started talking more and more to mineral people, people in the mining industry and, and finding out oh it takes 5 to 7 years or 8 years to make to to develop a mine and then it takes a few years to develop a you know refining center processing Amen. center and nobody's putting in the money 10 years ahead of time because who would right <laughs> who's who's going to do that <laughs> and the battery companies are not doing it the automakers of course were not doing it they're doing it much more today but it's still It's still been our chief concern for the past few years is the potential crunch on minerals for the EV battery revolution. And I haven't really been optimistic about it. So I have to say it's nice to come back to, oh, the market will work itself out when we think about lithium sulfur coming in and and helping out as well. Of course, you're still using lithium, but I don't think lithium is even the biggest barrier or chokehold on that now because it gets so much attention because it's at the front of the name <laughs> the marketing helps. Exactly. But, but yeah it's it's great it's to a, hear it's, it's a, really and it's really uplifting to hear you guys talk about how easy and local that supply chain can be that's my that's the point of my long rambling contribution to this <laughs> as well is that it's really i i think you're you're nailing key points and i just want to put an exclamation mark on them because i think they are are critical points that you're making so let's move on to technology a little bit more I just you know I've seen that you got a four million dollar grant from ARPA-E the EVs for all program could you tell us a little bit more about that I don't know if it's a grant or some other type of um, subsidy (laughs) but uh, could you tell us more about that four million dollar support from ARPA-E from the U.S. government department of energy and you know what it's for and how important it is for you?
1: Sure. It's it's important. The name says it all. Look, they're really they're really involved into kickstarting an industry where you can see an electric vehicle in every in every household. And what does that mean? There are some significant challenges there: fast charging, the affordability, the cold temperature performance of these new battery materials or the existing battery materials, and then the the cycle or calendar life. And really, when you think about EVs for all, you really have to challenge and tackle each and every one of these problems. And so we were very fortunate to be awarded one of the larger grants in the program for our lithium sulfur sulfurized carbon technology and really focusing on lower cost, higher performing battery materials that really do enable EVs for all. So we're, we're happy to be part of the project. I think it's going to be great for all of us. There's, there's, a, there's a great interest in collaboration amongst the... Uh, amongst the participants amongst the selectees as well as the national labs to make sure that the information that's been generated as part of the of the grant funding opportunity really gets out there it's recognized and it really does stabilize and start to to really grow uh, battery chemistry or battery chemistries that can enable electric vehicles for everybody
2: yeah and i mean you know the the companies eventually get almost all the credit but it's this kind of early kind of stimulus and support you know kind of it's, sometimes it seems small scale, four million. It's not four billion. Like you know, you might put four billion into battery factories and stuff, but it's you know critical at this stage, right? And it's kind of these seeds of of the of the mass market growth often get forgotten by the time you know by the time Zeta Energy is a household name or whatever you know. But but it's great to just hear how that process is working. And so well,
1: it's yeah. as, as important as important Zach as the funding is is it's being part of that community. And having access to the follow-on programs that that will and 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 should accelerate to support the the growth of battery materials and and battery chemistries in the future and so being being selected as part of the department of Energy's rpes evs for all is as much about the funding grant as it is about the recognition of the technology by the government after all when they make when they when they when they select you and you're awarded a grant they're really making an investment in your technology and that's exactly what why we're so proud to have been selected is because the US government sees enough in our future, in our technology, in our performance, that they made that investment in us. That's
2: excellent. Yeah, very useful. I you really... know, in
3: the end, it, uh, there's also historic examples of that. You know, if you go back to 2010, 2011, you know, there was also another wave of investment by the government. And some people later on, they claimed, oh, this is all a waste. You can argue yes or no, maybe it was a little bit too early, but then, you know, it was definitely seeding something. Yeah, And you see a lot of the startup companies that you are talking about now or companies that even got really huge, it all started with what was happening back then in 2010, 2011. So maybe some of these companies, they failed because it was too early, but the people, the brain power, just moved on into other areas, into other battery startups, you know, that are now part of our colleagues, part of this whole ecosystem, you know, of, of battery companies, you know, that are ready and able to really ramp up re- relatively
2: fast. Yeah, that's a great point. I, you know, don't really think about that, but there's a great point that the way it develops people, not just companies. So even if a startup doesn't survive, the people who are working on stuff do and hop over to other things. And it, it is interesting these days, it seems more and more I'm interviewing people who have a background at various startups or companies that, you know, we've covered, five years ago or a few years ago i mean maxwell is a good example where you know you you spent some time uh we covered that years ago for you know repeatedly and then sort of was quiet and then we covered of course when tesla acquired it and then you know the case of grants i mean tesla was on a thread for a decade uh or more and they (laughs) they received about half a million dollar loan i mean i mean uh more than sorry half a billion i think but anyway they, they they use they got a lot of money that maybe they would have survived without it but maybe not and then we would never know you know tesla the juggernaut that it is today but it definitely helped i'm sure and um those kind of things yeah it's not going to it's not going to everyone's not going to survive but what i've seen in the past is that the roi from the government supporting companies like this at this stage would be any uh, something any kind of venture capitalist or some kind of early stage investor would love to have on uh, uh, on their portfolio. So the oh, absolutely it pays yeah. off. And, and then when you think about it, the fact that it supports people who go on to do <laughs> other things, it's even I'm sure much better. Well, I have a little bit of a question here. Then you know, you we actually got connected because you reached out. It was a short comment in our in our contact form that caught the eyes of the first filter and the second filter enough that it got passed on to me and then I I, I looked at it and I said yeah let's let's talk to these people so there's one statement in there you said we, we solved we've solved polysulfide shuttle problem and are planning to have commercial production of lithium sulfur batteries by 2025 so I know we talked about this a little bit but can you just give a little more explanation of what the problem was that you solved i mean even if it's the same as what you said before i'm sure most of us need to hear it a few times to understand it (laughs) and also just you know that's ambitious you know 2025 is you know a year and a half away uh we Mm -hmm. that's really this is really soon in the grand scheme of things and uh just want to find out more why you're bullish on getting to commercialization by that time and you know what what that means to start and then we get into some other topics before closing
1: sure and michael can comment on the roadmap for commercialization that's that's his that's his driver for sure but but on the polysulfide shuttle effect solving the problem of polysulfide shuttle is a huge enabler in lithium sulfur batteries look the 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 achilles heel that was a polysulfide shuttle problem really was a short life of the battery michael mentioned less than 50 or 50 cycles And so that might be an interesting application for something that leaves the planet and doesn't come back. might be okay that you only have to charge it a few times. But for most use cases, you need to see 500 cycles and beyond. And so to eliminate the polysulfide shuttle effect or to not have it begin at all in our process really does give us clear line of sight on a highly stable sulfurized cathode battery that, that allows us to focus on cycle performance long and into the future. And we do this with a very low-cost raw material, which ultimately uh, represents a very low-cost battery technology for our, for our industries in the very short order. Michael will talk more about what some of those industries might look like. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have an automotive battery in 2025. That's not the case. It takes quite a bit longer to qualify a battery for, for an electric vehicle uh, energy storage solution especially when it's brand new battery chemistry or at least in this case, a battery chemistry that it's not prevalent in the automotive industry. But there are other industries out there that have a much shorter maturation through their validation cycle, allow us to really focus on earlier commercialization. Michael, you want to comment on those?
3: Yes. So basically... Our approach is going to be the following, you know, that uh, we're going to start building a what we call a validation center, you know, which allows us you know, to produce, call it samples, uh, custom-specific samples for various industries. And then take that further and produce it in higher volume, but still compared to automotive, low volumes. But for us, very live, high volume. So we can already capture some revenue early on. And in, for these kind of products, we would go into industries that uh, are sometimes a little bit overlooked. And I just say, you know, some of them, they might everybody's talking about aviation. Maybe we're going to go into aviation. Maybe we're not going to go into aviation. I worked for Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. One thing is we're not going to do. We're not going to go with these uh, aviation companies where I just get the feeling they're not going to survive anyway. But there's other aerospace companies out there. It's more serious. We're also going to be looking into grid applications, certain type of grid applications. We're looking into transportation segment. Sometimes you can even describe it, or sometimes I describe it this way. It's the non-sexy stuff. The non-sexy stuff is the non-automotive. Everybody's talking about non-automotive things. But there are so many other industries out there. They're all pushing to electrify. And for them to make that transition is relatively easier compared to automotive. The automotive program if they tell you tomorrow that uh, you know we ch- selected you to be in our next program you know you gotta wait three years and work with them before the first dollar rolls into the door and none of the analysts they like to hear that but this is reality i mean that's life that's it huh? and but there's other you know industries they have a turnaround time you know about 15 18 months and i experience it per- uh, personally tom experienced it you know where we know we can get something in there a lot faster and by doing that you know we have our products out already earlier we'll be learning with these customers how to further improve things which then ultimately will also flow into other products you know that we're working on but the key thing is you know we already getting some revenue in and we're getting some field experience which is really really important and there's numerous industries out there we do have the contacts you know people that I worked in the past that keep knocking on our door when are you guys ready when are you guys ready so that as soon as we do have something ready that we can then provide that we will start originally you know with cells and then we will probably team up with others to help us integrate the cells into packs and the modules and as soon you know as we have the bandwidth because we really need to be laser focused on just the cells. You know as soon as we have the bandwidth, which would also be supported by getting revenue, but then also additional investors, you know, we will also start looking into modules and packs to then customize them, you know, for a specific application or specific industries. But then
2: and nevertheless, the mines? big one Are is you gonna get into mining. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you uh... don't have to worry about it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, to help okay, the other guys but- get their materials, we're thinking about that. Yeah? So we'll electrify their, we'll electrify their <laughs> equipment in their mining operations. How's
1: that? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah.
3: <laughs> they say they want to mine nickel and cobalt and manganese. We say no.
2: But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no we, we don't care about that stuff.
3: <laughs> no, no, but um, you know what? I was involved in some electrification projects. You know, with mining, I know exactly what's possible there. It is also very, very attractive. I heard a number one point in time. You know that seven to eight percent of the CO two emissions is just coming from mining operations. Huge yeah, it's, number,
2: huge yeah, number. It's wild, it's completely wild. And it right? is
3: crazy, you know, if you hear about that. So there's opportunities in there as well, and you know we we do have some connections in there. You know, if you look at my background, you know who I worked with, and so there's people we talk to.
2: Yeah, well, we have we've written about a couple of these gigantic mining trucks or, or you know uh, construction trucks, mining trucks that uh, have gone electric, and it's a fascinating thing. I mean, just the scale of those is fascinating. But yeah, oh yes, and the, and oh then, yes. yeah, sort of invisible emissions that nobody talks about. And this this was actually the next subject I was going to lead us into was the other applications, which you you already led us into, because at the same thing I was going to say the same thing. You know, the EVs get people's attention, electric cars are all are a hot topic that's how you pull in eyeballs and and ears but then there's a lot more to do and a lot more interesting stuff as well and then you know electric flight again is very very sexy very fun topic but even we're we're focusing on the more difficult to bank on than right cars so it is
3: um i have this wonderful litmus test now that somebody shared with me he said just ask them you know you have a plane you need to take off in the winter time you need to do an ed icing on your surfaces. And I tried it out. This guy's face just fell down. He never even heard of that issue. And it says, okay, good. You know, you learn. And uh, once you you get ready, we can talk. But there's so many other applications. Think about one
2: thing. So we sort of mentioned mining trucks. That kind of thing. What other, can you be specific about a few others? For example,
3: the grid. I see the grid as another big opportunity. I saw this firsthand, you know, when I was uh, working with Skeleton in Estonia. You know the main majority of the grid was developed you know by the soviets 50s and 60s but similar to us here as well so you know you have a little town you know it's in the middle of nowhere and what do you do you know you put the poles in the ground and you start wiring the whole thing you know and then you hope that the stuff lasts a long time you know and if you need to have some more juice there you put some more wires but now after 50 60 years or so maybe 70 years, some of the infrastructure just has to be replaced. And so now these guys are rethinking, wait a minute, couldn't we just have localized energy storage? It could be solar, it could be wind, but it could be some other means, worst case, another generator, and then use energy storage very intelligently and just keep the whole thing, develop your own little microgrid. So you need to have all the stuff, you know, that you, have to set up to bring this stuff, you know, into some remote area. You forget about it. You generate it right there on demand. The analogy is what you see in Africa. You know, we we went ahead, you know, and we wired every house with a phone, you know, so with a wire so you can have your phone in the old days. Huh? And then suddenly, you know, now comes the cell phone and nobody's doing that. In Africa, you know, many countries, they don't even wire anymore for the phones. Why? You have cell phone. Same situation for the grid. Many applications, why wire? Why have this centralized power plant, you know, that is, you know, spreading wires all over the place if you can't have something localized. Huh? And this is why I see this one application, energy storage, perfect for that one, huh? you know, where we can play. And there's many many other areas if you think about that you know if you, you know there's three, uh, this like construction those, right? equipment that you mentioned about that think about it this way there are certain cities in the future already now where they say you know the city center we're not going to allow combustion engines well you think there's some guy coming with a big excavator that's spewing out diesel black smoke you know he can be going his merry way digging a hole not going to happen they're going to say you know what show up there with an excavator that's completely electric because we don't want want to have this black smoke in the middle of our city. So this you know this whole thing this ESG file, people are not going to take it anymore. You know where they say you know what there's an alternative now there. Now we can change to something electrified. And so there will be a lot of lot of other industry they haven't even talked about it yet. They will start this transition into electrification. So I think some of the forecasts, they might be even a little bit conservative because everybody's just focusing on our automotive. But there's so many other areas, you know, they will also start converting. And if you look at some of the construction equipment, John Deere, Caterpillar and those guys, they're pumping out so much products each year that and they're not going to have like only a 20 or 30 kilowatt hour pack in there. They're going to have bigger packs in there. So it is it will be very, very interesting, to say the least. Tom, you wanted to say okay. something, too.
1: Yeah, I was going to let them know we've been approached by, uh, you know, a, a bunch of different industry conversion guys. So, so uh, for on on one hand, power tool companies. So we've met with one over in Europe that was was talking about their need up to a gigawatt to convert over from 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 their very small gas engines over to electrification, and some of their tools are quite large, and so they're very interested in something that's lightweight, low cost, and provides a lot of power. And so that's an excellent opportunity for us to develop a very unique market for our, for our particular battery chemistry. You think about two-wheeler, three-wheelers. So anything that's right now a two-stroke that's going to have to convert over, especially in certain countries, they're not going to allow it anymore. They're all going electrification. We've heard up to four gigawatt worth of battery conversion for some of these larger two-wheeler, three-wheeler companies. And so we think that there's a great opportunity for us with our battery chemistry because of its low cost and lightweight nature of our battery chemistry. And so when you think about it, Michael mentioned the grid. An enabler for the grid.
2: Inexpensive, not
1: cheap. Inexpensive. And so I was just going with this. Look, the grid, the U.S. Department of Energy has always set a target of, you know, between 40, no more than $50 per kilowatt hour to really enable energy storage in the grid as a support not talking about the green the green energy conversion i'm talking about the true grid support we have a battery chemistry that can really start to approach that low cost nature of supplied energy storage we won't sell it that cheap to begin with there's no need to we're competing in markets where lfps you know targeting now 70 hope they hope to get there by 2022 they're not going to be there and nmcs north of $100 at the cell level So we really have a huge opportunity with our low cost nature of our materials to really put pressure on these larger markets because we have a solution that provides this performance at cost.
3: You know, it's very, if you spend some time in that, you can look into that, you know, I experienced this firsthand, you know, when we were in China in 2000, I think it's 11 or 12, when suddenly the Chinese government, you know, decided was the city of Shenzhen, no more mopeds, no more two stroke things. And the next day, I see in the newspaper, it was this hangar. They had a mountain of mopeds sitting there that people just had to discard because they told them, you know, you got six months to get rid of it. And it became kind of like the, the germ, you know, that, that set off the whole battery industry because then suddenly at the show, you saw all these guys showing these batteries, these this square battery packs that you put into e-bikes. Huh? This whole thing started to explode just because they took this out. So, I mean...
2: We've, that we've how Shenzhen he... has been a great leader for a long. I mean, they electrified their bus fleet, they electrified it right. taxi fleet. They've re- really, but it's important what you you're really good at pulling out some extra ramifications of things like that creates a, an industry and a market that then goes to convention, goes you know, and then spreads wider. And I I think that's something with with cities. You know, you mentioned cities earlier, Tom. I think right that. I think it get, keeps the forecast a little bit pessimistic perhaps because once major cities start saying, no, you're not allowed uh, to have this in, the, in our city, then a market starts to develop around alternatives that then exactly. are competitive in other markets. And then more cities fill in. A huge countries. enabler. Say it again. And a
1: huge enabler. We've said it all along. In new technology, legislation can be a huge enabler. Yeah, it's, and-
3: it's also, you know, that people, you know, if, if people suddenly say, you know what, why should I let this stinky diesel truck into my neighborhood to yeah. deliver some Amazon parcels?
2: Huh? Yes, yes. I want to
3: have something that comes in quiet and doesn't stink, huh? yeah. They're not so... going to
2: stop ordering from Amazon, but they do <laughs> but we do want our electric <laughs> uh, last mile delivery vehicles. <laughs> but but uh you know, I just keep I keep having this kind of picture of when things are changing fast, when things are are, you know, rapidly evolving and changing. You have these kind of these these different strands of competing you know options for for creating the future and it's it's the ones that are quick and adaptable and can quickly uh respond that you know find their way to the front find their way around the others and I, and I keep coming back to what tom was talking about earlier with the kind of you know you can get everything you locally source you know you can get it easily you don't need a pure i think michael was saying pu- you don't need pure uh which which uh
1: input Sulfur. ultra pure yeah. sulfur we don't need you don't need ultra pre- dirty pure sulfur. sulfur you just right. need to
2: get it from a, a local refinery or whatever so i think you know this all you know just in my head I'm, I'm just sort of picturing you guys being quite nimble and quick is how i'm reading it maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong i don't know maybe you've sold me we try uh, to be we try yeah. to be <laughs> you have very good you know marketing but it, but it's i mean it sounds like that it sounds like you've got a very nimble well, quick kind hamstrung. of. Hey, we're not
1: hamstrung by old technology right we're not, we're not sitting here on a legacy chemistry. We're not LFP, we're not NMC. We really have one direction, one priority, and that's to enable the commercialization of lithium sulfur batteries with a real focus on low cost supply chain. How, how, do, you, how do you really move past early adoption? Early adoption is one thing, but how do you stay for a long period of time? Well, you do it with price and performance. So if you have this much room whether it's profit margin whether it's in you know entry level or 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 beginning the pricing strategy discussions in an in an individual industry we really have a lot of room here we wrap up to the next competition where our raw materials are so low cost so readily available we're not going to have that same cost pressure that they have so we can really be kind of price focused on where we 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 look at uh, entry level pricing in each one of these industries and really make sure that we look at dominance and market entry.
2: Yeah, it sounds very promising. I'm I'm eager to follow you guys and uh definitely maybe hope hopefully be at some big uh, ribbon cuttings or launch events in the coming years. It sounds promising. It sounds exciting. The only final question I guess I have, and and then otherwise, you know, any final thoughts or anything we missed, mm-hmm. um, where do you sort of envision yourself being in 2030? I know it's a long ways out, seven years, but, and, you know, we talked a bit about, you know, the path to 2025. What's your sort of thought on 20, 2030, we'll say, it's sort of, you know, the year everybody sort of focuses on now, thinks about?
1: Well, in one way or another, I think we're either going to be a manufacturer or a manufacturing partner of high volume battery cells. And that's really what we are. We're a manufacturer of battery cell technology. And so making sure that we're very focused on cost performance, price performance will enable us getting there. We'll do that probably most likely with partners in the industry. You don't really try to go against an automotive OEM. You work with them. So whether it's a partnership, whether it's a, you know, a battery consortium, we see ourselves being very much involved in that way at gigacapacity. capacity.
2: And I think Michael also said you're going to develop an electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, right? <laughs>
3: Somebody else is going to do it—a working one that even Ice. works in the winter time. Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah.
2: Any, any other comments on that, or anything we we missed, uh, Michael?
3: No, I think you know, Tom. You know, one thing is we got to be fast. Nobody's sleeping, and we got to be nimble, whether they will like it or not. And you know what, at the end of the day, to a certain degree will also be the market that kind of drives and gives us the direction. So, I mean, we're, we want to work with automotive companies. They will give us some directions. And, you know, we also have to be kind of uh, honest to ourselves that some big automotive company, at the end of the day, they also want to produce their own batteries. Uh, and this is where we want to help them just do it together. Uh, and, you know, this is where this technology really works well. You know, they can set something up either next to the supply, next to the refinery, or next to the demand, next to their factory. Uh, And, you know, off we go.
2: And as I said, the the market is going to be huge. uh, As long as you do what you've got to do, there's going to be a tremendous demand. We've got an Electrify Everything series going on that a, a writer of ours has been doing, a former NASA guy. And it just keeps going because he keeps finding more and more things to add to the list or he sees at Costco, you know, like electric chainsaws, electric this, and everything is getting electrified as you pointed out, power tools of different sorts and sizes and and everything. So there's just a fast growing, fast evolving market. And it it seems like as long as you, you know, do what you've got to do, you're going to have buyers, right?
3: (laughs) Right. That's for
2: sure.
3: I mean, it's a beauty how electricity works. You generate it, but, you know, if you don't use it, it just gets poof. Huh? So <laughs> so this is where the storage comes in and it makes the whole thing more efficient. And to a certain degree, I always refer to as energy storage. It's kind of like a it is re- the most efficient energy management tool. This is how you can, for the first time, really manage energy. It's being generated. It's not being used. You park it in your management tool and you use it whenever you need to use it. Huh? And you know once you get this tool in hand think about all the wind turbines that are sitting around at a certain time of the day and not doing anything you just go like ah you know <laughs> just just do something or you know, call it yeah you know, i mean yeah. do something with it yeah and yeah. you know we that, that that's where we want to definitely where we see a bright future on this whole thing huh
1: that's for sure
2: Tom, did you have a you were going to say something else or are you
1: no, I was I was agreeing with Michael. Look, it, look, in green energy, produce it, store it, sell it at a premium, and so you have to have the right storage technology to be able to do that. Lower cost, high energy, you know, long cycle life, long calendar life. We we think we provide a very interesting solution to multiple markets, and so we're looking forward to the growth.
2: Thank you, guys, both. Uh, maybe next time we'll talk about the difference between ultra capacitors and batteries. No. <laughs> We'll see. Well, we'll have to talk again. Check in with you guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, if you enjoy this podcast and our Clean Tech Talk podcast series, please be sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. We appreciate it. I think we delve into the battery the development of the battery industry. I think as much as anyone, and it's it's just the fun, fascinating part of clean tech for for us these days to keep focusing on. So. It's fun talking to you guys and learning a lot. And also, I'm going to have to tap Michael for some of uh, some of his um, wordsmithing because he seems quite good at, quite good at <laughs> wordsmithing and metaphors. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to collaborate more. Thanks a lot. Have a good uh, rest of your day.
3: Same to you. Same to you. And thank you very much.
1: Uh, take for, care. For having us. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix.